know that I really feel abused. I look abused, don't I? Oh, no, I want, I want to tell you, and I, but I appreciate Bill. I appreciate his making known the finances I mentioned this morning and everything. The church here has always been very kind to us, very good to us, financially always been very good to us. And, and even though Bill wants me to hurry and retire, wants to make sure I can hurry and retire, no, that day, that day is coming, I know. I know that's coming. And I want the church here to have a creature that fits well, works well with them. And, and the day's coming that I may not be able to fulfill that role as much as I would like to or much as the congregation needs to. Time has a way of affecting us all, doesn't it, along the way and gets to us. Anyway, and then I was sitting there just a moment ago thinking, anyway, I just I appreciate so much. We've had, we've had 19... And a half wonderful years together, and I hope we have some more. I hope uh, that when the day I, I'm not filling the pulpit, and somebody even better is, that I'll be right there among you cheering along and taking part in, in everything that we can right here and all in the days ahead. Okay, but I was just thinking, who designs a church building so that the sun come in and blast people on Sunday evenings? I, I don't know how you do it otherwise, but... You know, the people that sit on this side, I, maybe you get the morning sun over here this time of year. Isn't that good? Wakes you up. And then in the evening, those who are trying to take their evening, afternoon, before supper nap, it wakes you up. So we're good all the way around. We want to talk about grassroots Christianity. I began talking about that. And we want to emphasize that, and we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning there. Paul laid the groundwork in the first three chapters, pointing to himself and some things that have gone on. Then he gets down to the point in chapter 4, as I said last week, therefore. We're going to be in the basically the same verse as I was before, if you were here for the previous lesson that kind of introduced this thing. But especially picking up in verse 2 through 6, we're picking up reading verses 1 through 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse 2, but we have renounced, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but manifest, manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this, uh, this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts uh, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Some of the most powerful verses that Paul writes right there. And what an introduction. And I, I think I said before, 2 Corinthians may be one of the more overlooked aspects of the work and the, and the ministry of Paul. So I think there's just some tremendous grassroots things in here. And this evening we want to talk about the idea we're not here to preach ourselves. We do not preach ourselves. You know, Christian living comes with a decision. Jesus said, if you were going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, Matthew 16, 24. One of my favorite passages to remind myself that it's not about me, and I think we need that, don't we? But Christian living comes with a decision that's made and kept when we live our lives, and it is an opportunity, but it's when we live our lives 
recognizing within our lives we have the opportunity and even the challenge and the blessing of being servants, ministers of whatever our opportunity is. And when I say it is an opportunity, a necessity, I mean it's made necessary by the nature of our lives, the love that is so much a part of our lives that God has given us and we share with others. God loved us. We love one another. He said, if you don't love your brother whom you can't see, how can you love God who you can't see? That's John's question about it. But we know God has loved us, and in turn we love. We love others, and we love God. It is in that love that demands us to be, it is that love and the nature of it that demands us to be ministers or servants in every way that we can. And there's multitudes of ways we can do it. It's not just one, but in your life you find it. We talked some about that. But there is no doubt in life we like things to flow a certain way. We like them to go our way. You know, at home I want things to go my way. But they don't usually go that way. Well, I don't know. Quite often, they, things are pretty good. But you know what I mean. You, you know what I mean by that. We like to be comfortable. We like situations to go the way we want them to go. If we're working with people, we want them to be cooperative. We want things to, to work out that way. But, you know, we, we tend, when things don't, to just give up. I keep thinking of a line from a television show that says, said, I, I don't go to compromise. I just go to surrender. And I thought, maybe that's the way we are sometimes. You judge in yourself. Sometimes we, we say, okay, enough said, and we just turn our backs. I know. I know at the same time there does come that time that you say, that's all I can invest here. And we're not going to cast our pearls before swine to part, borrow that phrase. You know, there comes a point you'd stop and you say, tough love, whatever you want to call it, we're not going to go in that direction anymore. But we do have a tendency to give up on people and, so, and, and so opportunities when they don't respond, when things don't happen the way we want them to do. So when circumstances don't follow our thinking, if we're just balking, we need to learn something. If we've been dismissed, does that mean we ought to just walk away? If we've been overlooked, should we just sulk? If our credit that should be ours has been given to someone else instead of to us, what should we do? We tend to get all bound up and bothered or hot and bothered or whatever you want to say it sometimes when should we really? I think it's at such moments when we are inclined to just simply throw up our hands we need to remind ourselves of what Paul is going to get to in the seventh verse that we'll look at later on. When we are, we need to remind ourselves that we are the clay pots. We may be just clay pots in which the gospel invested, but still don't think that we are unimportant. That's not what I'm getting at. We should never think that we do not have value. We are the instrument through which the good news of the gospel is to be shown. Yes, we are an instrument, and we need to remember that, but we are an important instrument in the sharing of the gospel and what God intends. The foolishness of the gospel or the message preached is what he says in another place. So, what has he said? We do not lose heart. Since we do not lose heart, there are some things we need to consider, and he lays some out here. If we're not going to lose heart, something we need to do, we need to recognize there are some things we will not do. We draw those lines, there are some things we will not do in our lives. Probably a lot of things you start making of a list of things that you will not do. I'm not talking about the food that my grandchildren won't eat. 
but things that we will not do by decision. I've said, I'll draw a line there, and I will not cross that line. Because we recognize our lives are filled with actions, obvious actions. And that's just the way it is. Ministry itself of any kind requires recognizable, overt, outgoing actions. But sometimes we have to stop and say, I can't go there. I cannot do that. I could talk about some of the situations I found myself in over the years, especially when we worked with the Drexel congregation, and we worked with some pretty desperate, destitute situations. And I've alluded to some of them. You know, when you, you go knock on a door and, and somebody's standing there with a gun pointed at you, you think, I don't know whether I want to go in here and share the gospel or not. You know, kind of that thing, that kind of thing. Uh, and all I, I mentioned before, the fellow that sat in the other room while I was having a Bible study showing the old Jewel Miller video series to uh, three other people in a room. The guy sat in the other room organizing his ammunition. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm getting across here. And every now and then he would say, I want to add something to this. And I'm thinking, I just wish you would go away, please. Some things make you a little bit nervous. And sometimes you wonder, am I really making any headway here? And there comes a point you say, I just can't invest myself any further here. But we understand that ministry is an outpouring of yourself. Jesus was described as one in Acts 10.38 by Peter as one who went about doing good. Or I think about when Peter is brought to where Dorcas or Tabitha has died. And as he's being brought you see those widows there showing the things that she has made. She has been a minister and a servant to these ones who are in need, Acts chapter 9. So there's such we understand that ministry is an overt action. It's not just a thought. It's not just good thinking. It's not just prayers. And I don't mean to undermine our prayers for anyone. But it takes even more than just the prayers in your closet for somebody. Overt action. Doing something for others. We need to be, and I think we are intended to be, an open book to be seen, as he said, to be seen and judged by the knowledge and the conscience of others. They see what we are, they see what we do, and they judge what we are, and they judge what we do. We cannot just say, I don't care what people think about me, because people are going to judge what we are and what we do. But we do it with good intentions. And at the same time, as he points out, even the very best of intentions and the very best of actions can be ignored. They can be still set aside. Some will still not see what they are. And every one of us has lines that we will not cross, even the worst in that regard, things that we will not do, things that we've set aside whether it's considered, you know, going over that line of ministry or whatever. There are things that the worst, the thieves will not do. You know, that old line, honor among thieves and so forth. Uh, maybe it's that Robin Hood syndrome. Uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly what you call it when you're stealing from only those who deserve it or something, but whatever. There comes a point. There comes a point that we have to know in ourselves and simply say, I won't do that. Paul says there are some things that we've got to understand that we will not do. Because we are seen, because we are ministers, not necessarily in the, in the code of ministry, but that some things that we need to know that will not be a part of our lives. He says we have renounced these things. 
We've renounced the hidden things of shame. He doesn't go into a description of exactly what those are. We can find some in some other places. But those hidden things of shame, I like the words hidden and shame to stand out. You know, in every society, there are practices that are considered to be worse than are allowed. Every society. There is no society that that just allows free reign. That's chaos. To do whatever you want to do. There's not a society where you can just walk up and say, you know, I don't like your faith. Boom, you're dead. That's it. That's not the way it works. Maybe one of the common is abuse of children. We struggle with it, don't we, when it happens. Nothing gets us more, strikes us more to the heart than we see that. But there are those things in a society where it says, well, if you're going to do it, just don't say it openly. Don't talk about it. Don't tell others that you do that. You know, we live in a, a very privatized society. While we are probably the most, uh, in a sense, most, uh, most observed society where information is just out there all the time, more on camera than, than any time in all of history, of course. But there is still that sense of privacy and hidden, and it allows us to think that we can keep and hide some of the darker things of life. Paul says, even those, those that nobody else may ever see, we've renounced them. We won't have those in our lives. Secondly, that idea of walking by craftiness. I like the word, don't you? Craftiness. Sounds good. That's a very crafty individual. My wife is very crafty, different kind of crafty we're talking about. This is talking about playing up to people, and we've got terminology that goes along with that. It, that's that, that kissing up attitude where you're trying to get people to do what you want them to do or s- to gain the confidence of another person. We might refer to it as being con artists, hypocritical con artists. Aren't politicians often accused of doing that very thing? Oh, I shouldn't have said that out loud, should I? (laughs) But they are accused, at least, sometimes, whether that's true or not. But that idea of trying to get ahead by manipulation of the facts or the changing things or deceptiveness to do things, I'm going to set that aside. I'm not going to walk by craftiness to see what I can get away with. And thirdly, and this one might strike you odd, using God's word deceptively. Who would do that? A lot would. This is the idea, perhaps, of picking and choosing material to make it say what you want it to say. You know, there's no doubt every one of us has certain perspectives on on things that are personal for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of where we've lived, how we've lived, the generation in which we've come from, and things like that. You know, the family, and there were things that were important to my family, not important as much to other families and so forth. But to use God's word deceptively, to abuse it, to make it say what you want it to say. I know I've jokingly said that means you can take anything, put it together, and make it sound like something that you want done. Hmm. It's kind of that, it can be, it can make the, the scriptures say, Anything you want. In 
know, I think about uh, some of the things that, that happened, and all it says, and uh, Jesus said to Judas, what thou doest, do quickly, and Judas went out and hanged himself. I don't think that was exactly the way it went, but uh, there, were, there are many that could be applied if you're just, if you're not careful, you take words out of context. And there are a lot of people who like to play with words, and I know how words are important, and I like to play with words. But when you take words out of their context within Scripture, when you take a phrase or a verse and pull it out of its general context, you need to be very careful about how it is used. Because we might use it to further something we want rather than what it was intended within the Scriptures. But some use it with deception with the intent of achieving their own goals or their own purposes. Jesus addressed some that of that within his own time and how they were escaping taking care of their parents or escaping one of the Ten Commandments, honoring your father and mother, not taking care of their aging parents because they would say they were using their money for another cause. What would have been used for their parents is being used for God's purposes, they would say. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? But it was not true. So using God's word deceptively, and those who tried to apply the application of Old Testament law to those who had never been Jews in the first place is one of those examples we've been looking at on Wednesday night. Even today, there are those who claim that they have God's word, that God speaks to them, that God tells them something. God told me to say this. If you feel moved by God to do so, I got to tell you probably 99 or 999.9999 times out of 1,000, 100, whatever, it's just what the person wants to do. And it's maybe they're sincere and they've talked themselves into believing it was God. You say, Russ, that's not kind. Well, I, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just saying when we start taking God and applying him to our own designs and purposes, we miss it. And that's what Paul says. We'll renounce that. Let's let God speak to what he wants to speak to through his word and do it plainly. And while some claim to have that message, they may be a whole lot like those, those itinerant uh, guys going around casting out evil spirits. And then they came across one and said, uh, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but you I don't know and jumped on them and started beating them up. Now that's is that karma? Oh, I shouldn't say karma from the pulpit, should I? But there it is. So he said, there are things we will not do. But on the other end, he's telling us we are determined in purpose. Yeah, there are things we won't do, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. There are things we won't do. As a Christian, there are things we won't do. As a follower of God, there are things I won't do. As a person, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a preacher, there are things I'm not going to do. There are things that you are not going to do. Our, our things may not line up identically, but they're going to overlap an awful lot. Things I will not do. But he says there are things we will do because we have an unrelenting purpose to present the gospel of Christ. We need to look at ourselves. We look at, look at ourselves very carefully. We need to check the mirror that is in our lives. Go back to verse 18. But we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Where are we looking for the glory of the Lord? In the mirror. We look in the mirror and we check what is it that I'm showing the world. 
because we know that we put ourselves at risk. We're putting ourselves out there to the world, to people about us, to whoever it is, because we are determined that the, 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 the good news should be known. We're determined that others will know the good news that we know because we want to make clear the truth of the gospel. We have renounced those things, but by, by manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to others. I was just thinking today, or, or actually the other day, and I was thinking about it again today when going over this, how instant replay has affected sports. You can like it or dislike it, whatever. It's there. It's real. It, it's a part of it. It's not, but it's there and you know what is done is it's shown the things that we can't always see in full motion. We cannot always see every detail of everything that's happening in full motion. And we may, as I said, we may hate it at times, but it has proved to be a useful tool in seeing the close details of things. And what I'm saying is Paul says we need to have that realized slow motion look. That's what he's talking about. Look in the mirror. Stop. Look in the mirror. You know, that's what you do before you go out in the morning. You don't just pop out of bed and, and throw on a few clothes in the dark and then head out the door. Well, the dog and I do, but that's a different story. But you don't head off to work and then you get to work and you say, you know, you know, did you sleep on your hair that way last night? You know, you know, and your socks don't match. Well, that's me all the time, but you know what I'm saying? We look carefully, don't we? We put on the clothes that we determine to wear. We'll slick down. If we got some hair, we'll slick it down, make it look as good as we can. We try to make ourselves as presentable. Some of you do a far better job about it. You look great, but we try to make ourselves look as presentable as we possibly can. And that's what he's saying as Christians, spiritually speaking, we look into that spiritual mirror before we put ourselves to the world and say, am I putting out Christ for people? Because it is an important matter, and it's a matter of doing the job to be done. And no doubt there are going to be hindrances, and that's part of what he's getting at. There are going to be hindrances, things that are going to get in the way. Now, think about this. Because he's already addressed the idea of we're not going to lose heart. That means there can be a loss of heart. We see it. People lose their motivation. They get fired up for a moment, and they're running along, and then after a while they say, I just, you know, get a little tired. Go see somebody who's, who has seemed like dropped off the, the face of the earth from a, a congregation like this. And you go visit, oh, I, say, I, I don't know why. I just kind of lost my motivation or interest. We do not lose heart. That's one of the hindrances that gets in the way. Sometimes we're hindered by, as I said, doing the things that we shouldn't do. Maybe we've crossed those lines that we shouldn't cross, and it gets in the way. I think about a, a woman I went to visit who was the daughter of one of our members many years ago. I went to the door, and she said, oh, I just can't go back because people know what I've done. Man. I said, yeah, maybe they do. But those are the ones who will forgive and forget. Sometimes we, we recognize, and as I said, even the lack of reception by others. Because kind of who cares anymore? In preaching, they call it Monday morning blues. <laughs> Does anybody really care? <laughs> what a lousy Sunday we had. That's other preachers, not me. They don't get to preach here. <laughs> but sometimes we do get down when people just don't want to 
be receptive anymore. I'll be honest with you, I think we live in a tough time for the gospel. We live in a tough time to share the gospel. It's not that there aren't some who will, but it's tougher to find people who really want to learn and to live the gospel than it's been. It's tough. I believe that. But we are determined in our purpose, he said. And part of the reason we're determined in our purpose is because we are under a directive. I should remind you that that life is, is really just about taking the next step. I think sometimes we're worried about what's going to happen down the road down there when we need to be looking at what's my next step and just keep on taking that next step. What's that song? Put one foot in front of the other. Next thing you know, you're walking right out the door. Take the next step. We are under a directive. And as I said, and we've addressed already, and Paul is making that emphasis, it is a matter of heart. We don't lose heart because it is a matter of heart. It is, it is the opportunity to have darkness driven out by the light of his knowledge. I don't remember when I first came across John 3.19. I don't remember who first brought it to my attention. You know, John 3.16 is one of those verses you learn when you're a child. Learn, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the kids learn that, and we love that verse. And then I love verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then you go just a little bit further. And he talked about being attracted to the light. And he said, men love the darkness. I think when you're a child, you don't understand that. But as we get older, don't we? We begin to understand. Men love the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. They were ungodly in their nature. The knowledge of Christ makes it impossible for darkness to continue. The more you let the gospel of Christ into your life, the more you apply it into your life, the more you use it in your daily life and and, in all that you live and the way you conduct yourself at, at home, at work, or wherever it might be, the more you conduct yourself with it, the less darkness there is in your life. As I've said before, you know, one of my favorite my favorite songs is Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. Why? Because I want to be near the price that was paid and the sacrifice of Jesus. And that helps keep rust straighter. Keeps me more honest. I like that. And as while we're thinking about the light, let's remember this. As we conduct ourselves in the world, what did Jesus say? Matthew 5, 14. You are. Notice what he said. You are the light of the world. Not you have the light of the world. Not you conduct the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You know, when you you put a, a bulb into a socket and that thing illuminates 
You don't think about the electricity that's flowing through it until you pay the bill. You don't think about the electricity that's flowing through it. You don't think about all the, the, the mechanics that went into it, whether you're talking about an incandescent bulb, or an LED, or, or whatever it is, a gas-filled bulb, whatever it is. You're not thinking about exactly the chemistry that's involved and all the mechanics and, and things that are involved in this and the flow of that. You're just thinking, that thing gives light. When people see us, that's what Paul is saying. When people see us, they're not thinking about all about how that goes and the conducting through us and it's working in us. They just see what we are. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And from a personal level, we have to recognize it's because we belong to him as servants of his. It's not about our will. It's not about determining whatever we want to do, except that our will is to be submissive to what he has given us to be, submissive to his will. He uses the term bondservants. I think it was maybe last Sunday we sang, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. We are bond servants. And because we are servants of his and, and he has done that, and we owe this tremendous, overwhelming, immeasurable, you just say immeasurable debt, it commits us to service. And as I said a while ago, because he has done this, we love others. We are servants of others. We need to be reminded, I guess, that the word minister means to render service. We are servants of one another. So it's not about our show. Not in the sense of getting attention about people. You know, the, you don't have to be a star, baby. You don't have to put on moves like Jagger. And even though we live in a celebrity age where it's about drawing attention to the person, about the person, and getting glory to the person, it's not a celebration of me. And that can, uh, that can be kind of tough. That's why Paul says this. We've got to get our hearts right. You get your heart right. And I truly believe with all, I believe with all my heart that we will rarely know the names of the people who truly exhibit, who tr truly exhibit, who exhibit the true qualities of greatness in the world. We'll know the names of people who want attention, and even some who don't, but we will rarely know the names of the people who would truly be defined as having that quality of greatness. For Paul is trying to get across, we do not preach ourselves. We're not in this for the accolades, for the awards. We're not there for the pat on the back, as nice as that is. That's not why we're there. What we are is we are responders because of what God has already done for us. And what a great statement. What a great statement Paul makes for us. He lays it out for us 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. It's very simple. God did great for us. Let us render service for him. We have the opportunity for the light of Christ and the gospel to shine in us. And through us, what we say, what we do, and when we do, it is, it is in part for us, but it is also for all who see us. We have a ministry, a service to render, because God renders service to us. We're going to sing again a song of encouragement this evening. If someone needs to respond this evening, we want you to do so. We don't want you to hesitate. We don't want you to feel encumbered in any way. We want the gospel to have its effect on you. If someone has a need this evening, don't want it to slip away from you. The opportunity is yours. Whether it's to obey the gospel initially or you need prayers or something like that, or let us all be motivated to think about our own lives, to look in that mirror very carefully as we kind of begin a new work week. Let's look in our mirror carefully. Somebody needs to to respond this evening, won't you do so while we stand, while we sing together.